um, Gordy and Kathleen. I pray that your spirit now will be on Gordy as he teaches, speaks to us from his heart and from what you've been sharing with him about sustainability. And I know I have so much to learn about that. So help us to have open hearts and, and open minds to what you're saying to us this morning. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Kirsten. Well, good morning. Good to see you all here. Well done, springing ahead and getting here. Okay. Yes, so um, we're going to pray for Gordon Carroll at the end of the service today as well for uh, their trip. And uh, they still need about $1,000. They've been trying to raise 4000 to build a house with a family in Mexico. So... Uh, if you haven't been a part of that, just go to our friend's Facebook link. I'll also put it on our church public Facebook link as well, so you can, you can give there if you're not on the friends group. And uh, yeah, let's get her done, eh? Get her done. Um, just before I start, I want to give a quick praise report. Um, I didn't get a chance to write this out. I've been having a lot of you praying. But on Friday... I was getting gas over here at Shell because I get a deal because I shop at Safeway. So I was getting my deal and uh, my cell phone rang. So I, you know, made sure the gas thing was hung up and I didn't blow the place up. Answered the phone and I looked at the phone and it said, Dad, on the phone. So I haven't had a phone call like that, as you know, for a long, long time. It's been about two months since I saw that on my call display. So I thought, hmm, is that my brother? Is that my sister? Is my mom? Somebody using my dad's phone. I picked it up, and it was dad. And, he's, and he was so excited because that day he'd been given a day pass, and he had he'd driven kind of uh, been driven to where my mom was, where they live, from the hospital. And he showed up at her door without her knowing that he was coming home. And so he was so excited because he'd had a three-hour visit with mom uh, before he had to go back to the hospital. So that is a pretty good sign that things are, things are going well and that your prayers are being heard. So I just wanted to give you that update. Oh, yeah. You know, before the, this uh, surgery... Um, for a year or two, he could hardly eat anything, like without it hurting his stomach. And, and he was so excited because it was our son's 40th birthday on uh, Friday. So he was so excited because now he's, the tradition is he always, on my son's birthday, they go out for Chinese food. So he's going to be able to have Chinese food with my son, which he was very excited about. So, yeah, he's eating, he's eating everything. My mom's birthday was earlier in the week, and he was able to have cake with her. So thanks, everybody, for your prayers and concern. Um, it's, it's, looking, it's looking up. It's looking good. So we're going to continue, as Kirsten said, our teaching series on sustainability, specifically how to have a sustainable outward focus. In other words, we are, as the church, called to, in the words of N.T. Wright, be outward-facing. What that means is we're a servant community. We, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, we're the only organization in the world that exists for others other than ourselves, this outward focus. And yet, how do we do that 
without burning out? How do we do that and be sustainable? How do we be a servant community in a sustainable way? So we've been working with this over the last few months, uh, using the lectionary texts that show up in the, in, the, in the Christian year. And we've now entered the season of Lent. And today I want to talk about, based on our text, this whole idea of resisting our false selves. Now, if you've been with us for a while, this has been in our language over the last year. We've been talking about the true self, the false self. And Henry Nouwen's definition of the false self was, I am what I have, what I possess. I am what I've achieved. And I am what other people think about me. So those are false selves that creep in when we lose sight of the mirror of who we are. When we, you know, every human being needs to be mirrored by a, a significant other in their early childhood. That they're beloved. That they're precious. That they're, they belong. And we need to be mirrored by God. That we're God's beloved. And when we, when we lose sight of that, we take on false selves and false identities. So that's a little bit of the context from last year. We, we talked about that. But I want to specifically zone in that with this argue, I want to argue that the false self is the temptation to become unhuman, to default on our humanity, or if you will, inhuman. There's, there's something beastly, and you see this in the book of Revelation, something beastly about the false self, about the corporate false self, our false humanity that, that comes there is something about our humanity that is so incredible. It's amazing. It's incredible to God. For the first time in eternity, it seems, when God placed us in the garden, God said, let us create humanity in our image. So in the image of God, we were made male and female. And the ancients would understand this language because the gods and goddesses would have their temples that were made by people. In those, in those temples, the image of the god was placed. And that image was a reminder that the god or the goddess was present. And so the whole language of God creating us in his image was basically saying that the universe was God's temple. And when God put you and I, humanity, in that temple, God put God's image there as a statement to all humanity that God is present. Humanity is God's statement that God is here. God is present. And this is so significant to God that God, you know, as we read the story, we read that God actually became human and still was God at the same time. What does that say about humanity? That the creator became human, Emmanuel, God with us, and was completely human and yet retained Deity. So this um, brings us to our text because I want to argue that the greatest temptation for Jesus, who identified himself, by the way, as the human one, 
Remember those times we say the Son of Man, the Son of Man? If you look at the Greek, it actually just means Son of the human, not the human one. Everybody wanted to call him Son of God. The demons wanted to call him Son of God, but he kept saying, I'm the human one, the human one, the human one. Isn't that interesting? He self-identified as the human one way more than the Son of God. And his greatest temptation, we will find, was to give up his humanity, to default on it, to let it go. And we see that in our text today. So let's look at it from the Gospel of Luke. And of course, we're in the season of Lent, and it's the context of the wilderness temptation. And it's that strange time, of course, when Jesus has been introduced by John the Baptist as the coming one, remember, at his baptism. And at the same time, God the Father jumps in and says, oh, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Look at you. Look at you. No, you'd think this would be his platform to just spring into his worldwide ministry and introduce messiahship. But strange thing happens. Counterintuitively, he ends up in the wilderness. There's hardly any water. There's no food. Mark talks about just all he had was lions and wild beasts. And, of course, the devil. The word, Greek word for devil, devil is uh, slanderer. Accuser. So it seems like he's going the opposite way. What's, this, what's all this about? Jesus, from the Gospel of Luke, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, people or humans, note that, humans shall not live by bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. So they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. So if you will, I'd like to walk back through that text, slow down a little bit, kind of do a corporate Lectio Divina, and look at this a little bit more closely. First of all, it says that Jesus, full of the Spirit, was led by the Spirit. How many have found that it's easier to be led by the Spirit 
when you're full of the Spirit. I found when I'm full of myself, it's a little harder to be led by the Spirit. And it says that for 40 days he was tempted. And he had this amazing experience, remember at the Jordan, as I just explained, where God affirms his delight in his son. How many miracles had Jesus done up to that point? No miracles. There's all these apocryphal stories of Jesus, you know, turning birds into stone birds into living objects as a child and hexing his friends when they were bullying him and things like that. It's just lies. Jesus did no miracle up until the time he met John. So he was God. Get this. God became human, and he was so ordinary. His hometown didn't recognize him. His hometown never saw anything special about him. He did the dishes, I think. Helped his father in the carpentry shop. Did his chores. Went to school. Played with his friends. And God was so thrilled with him. At the age of 30, he said, this is... Look at you. This is my son. Do you know how much God delights in you in the ordinary? When you wash those dishes or those clothes, or you cook, or you shop, or you go to work to put bread on the table for your family, you clean your house, all that dusting you do that nobody ever notices, but they notice it when you don't do it. God says, look at you. How much God is so delighted in your humanity. So now Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the first sign that there may be something extraordinary about him. And it says he ends up in the wilderness, tempted by the devil, the accuser, the slanderer. Satan means, the Satan means the adversary. He's alone. He's out of community. It's, it's not normal. But he spends much time in prayer. There's no food. That's not normal. For 40 days. Hard times but led by the Spirit. Are you going through hard times? There's more than just the devil's dumping all over you. God's in control of your life. He's training you. He's preparing you. <clears throat> and you're going to win. The number 40 is significant. 40 days. Moses went up on the mountain two times for 40 days. Israel spent 40 years in the desert. And remember what we talked about last year? The desert was freedom training, learning how to be free. They'd been slaves for 400 years. The first lesson in freedom training was take a day off. Right? They hadn't had a day off in 400 years. That sucks. God says, take a day off. Well, what are we going to do? We're machines. We're cognitive machines. We're here to do. We're human doings. He said, no, you're human beings. Stop and know that you're my delightful sons and daughters. Slow down. You can't have intimacy and community and relationship when you're hurried. You have to be unhurried. Pace yourself. Slow down. Go the pace of the wheelchairs. Go the pace of the little children. Go the pace of the seniors. That's the pace of God. The three mile an hour God. You've got to slow it down. Freedom training. You're not cogs in a machine. You're beloved sons and daughters of God. They it took 40 years to train them. 40 years to train them in that. Preparation. So Jesus becomes like a personified Israel. 
For 40 days, he's in the wilderness being tempted. And the first temptation was, if you're the son of God, tell the stone to become bread. Now, you got to remember, Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. And I fasted almost that long, not totally on just water, but liquids. And you get very weak. And your, your body begins to succumb to weakness. And that's hard enough. But then all of a sudden... At about 40 days, this unbelievable hunger comes in and every rock looks like food. Every tree looks like food. Everything you see looks like food. I mean, it's crazy. It's just this gnawing hunger. So Jesus answered, it is written, people shall not live on bread alone. Now at face value, this temptation seems to be about the lusts of your flesh. You know, we have these needs in our body. We have physical needs. We have sexual needs. We have um, uh, physiological, psychological needs. And it's, it's, it seems at face value that this is about, oh, you know, succumbing to the lusts of our flesh, gluttony and, you know, immorality. And, and, and at face value, it might be that. But there's so much more going on at a deeper level here where Satan comes to Jesus and there's this... Remember 40 days before at the Jordan River, God said, look at you. Look at you, my son. But now Satan is saying, look at you. You pathetic. Look at you, Messiah, son of God. It's like this, this rasping, taunting. Jesus is weak. He's hungry. He can hardly walk anymore. And, he, and, and Satan says, default on your humanity. Default on your humanity. You don't need to put up with this. You're the son of God. Just snap your fingers. You can have food just like that. Snap your fingers. You can have a yacht on the Mediterranean. Snap your fingers. You can have beachfront property. All the women you want. The world is yours. You're the son of God. So Jesus responds by saying, human. Humans. Mother Teresa said people may have food, but they're still starving for love. People need love. People need community. People shall not live on bread alone. And so there's this taunting, underlying, tormenting, rasping lie. And Jesus, instead of seeing his humanity as, as a barrier, he sees it as a gift. What if your humanity, whatever you're struggling with this morning, limitations, where's your next meal going to come from, your next paycheck? What if those, lo those longings you have for, for, for fellowship, that loneliness you feel, your hungers, your thirsts, what if rather than a frustration, they were a gift from God to you? What if they were a doorway for you to know God? It says a little bit later in the book of John, Jesus stood up in the last great day of the feast as they were pouring all of these water jugs as a symbol of the Feast of Tabernacles. This was a thing. And Jesus saw that and he jumps up and he says, anyone who's hungry or thirsty, let them come to me and eat. Let them come to me and drink. 
What if those addictions you struggle with are a gift to drive you to God, to remind you of, the, of your humanity and your dependency, and to remind you of how precious your humanity is to God? The next temptation, uh, by the way, all three of these temptations, I believe, are, are in some way to get Jesus to default on his humanity. And the second temptation is the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. How he did this, I don't know. It was probably supernatural. Give him a video of the Roman Empire and the glory and the splendor and the palaces and the wealth and the riches. And he said to them, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus doesn't argue with him. Now, it's interesting, in the scriptures, the devil doesn't show up very much in the Old Testament. He shows up in the garden and maybe a couple other times. But when you get to the New Testament, why, does he, why is he so prominent? Why is devil and demons so prominent? Well, it reminds me when we were in Zimbabwe, and we were staying in this big, big house, and it was, it was a great house for Zimbabwe. It was amazing. And in the morning, I got up early to go to the kitchen, and I turned the light on, and when I turned the light on, the counter moved. It was cockroaches, right? What happens is when you turn on the light, it exposes and when Jesus showed up, it showed up, he exposed the cockroaches, right? And so, scripture, Jesus doesn't argue with Satan when he says, it's all been given to me. And other scriptures verify this. Jesus calls him the prince of this world. Paul calls him the prince of the power of the air. Ephesians says that he's the ruler of the darkness of this age. In fact, in Corinthians, Paul says he's the God of this world. Satan is literally called the God of this world. Now, Christians have read that scripture, and they've, I think they've misinterpreted it. It's produced this passivity of, of our eschatology, where we kind of say, well, the devil's in charge of this age, and then there's a coming age when Jesus come back and kick his butt, and then it's going to all be good. That's not what scripture means by that. There's something more going on here. I want us to see this. Because this calls for responsibility in our part. So one commentator said that Jesus was inviting Jesus, uh, Satan was inviting Jesus to rule the world where Jesus would rule the world, but, but he would be under Satan. I'll be in charge. You'll be my next in command. It'll be a, a reign, a kingdom based on false self, on greed, coercion, lies, competition, ambition, exploitation, violence. Um, one commentator said, kind of paraphrased it this way, Satan said to Jesus, I am indeed the prince and God of this world. Its kingdoms and their glory are at my disposal. I could at once open up your way to the highest honors that a universal conqueror and a universal sovereign could desire. I could gather at once around you a host of devo devoted Jewish troops. I could pave their way for victory after victory until at no distant period the whole Roman Empire, indeed the whole world, would be subject to your sway. Only abandon these wild ideas you have about servanthood and humility and the cross and suffering. Just get rid of all that. 
Now, there's something fascinating that's going on here. Look at this phrase. Satan says, I will give you all their kingdom and splendor. It has been given to me. So it wasn't his rightful one, authority, but it was given to him. Who gave it to him? Who gave it to him? We did. We gave it to him. And it's not some past event. It's every day. He has as much authority as humanity gives him. So Jesus was given this option. The Greek word is paradinomi, which means to hand over, to give, or deliver over. We defaulted. So it, it's an acknowledgement that it was not his to have, but it was given So we as the image of God on this planet, we decide whose temple this is. We decide whose temple this is. So there's two realities. Satan is the God of this world, but there's another reality. The kingdom of God is here. Through the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ and the authority he's given to the church, the kingdom of God is here. So, there's only, so it's a half-truth. There's another kingdom filling the earth. And the choice for us each day is which kingdom do we default to? And Jesus says to him, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In other words, there's only one person worthy of my allegiance as a human being. There's only one person. Get behind me, Satan. Remember several times he's used that word? Get behind me? That's the opposite of worship. It means you're not number one. Get behind me. Get behind me. He said that to Peter. Remember when Peter was kind of being a little bit of an instrument of Satan a little bit later, trying to keep Jesus from that cross? Get behind me. And finally, the third temptation. Second temptation was to buy into that satanic system, that that way of coercion and greed and pride and the false self rather than going the way of the cross and suffering and humility. That's the second temptation. The third temptation is the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, again, it's like, look at you. He said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully so they will lift you up in your hands so that you will not... Strike your foot against the stone, a quotation of our first psalm. Now it's, it's, this is probably the most insidious temptation of all. It's the greatest test of all because Satan takes Jesus to the center of religion, the hopes of Israel, the temple. Remember the temple was that meeting place between heaven and earth. And then he gives Jesus some scripture. The temptation of the false self is to become religious. To use scripture to identify your falsehood, to support your falsehood. How much scripture has been used to justify the false self? Abuse, human trafficking, colonialism, ethnic cleansing, patriarchy, misogyny, witch burning. All of that is scripture has been used. That's why it's so important to approach Scripture in community. And Jesus said, yes, but it's written again. It's written again. 
You've missed the story. So much scripture is quoted as proof text, and we've missed the story. The story of God's redemption. The story of God's salvation. The story of God renewing the earth. So what was the temptation here? Jesus, be impressive. Impress them. Show them how amazing you are. That'll get you to be the Messiah so fast. So much of what Jesus did in his life and ministry was so counterintuitive to the messianic program, wasn't it? He told people not to tell that he healed them. Don't put that on Facebook. He shunned the crowds when they tried to make him king. He said, I don't want a page. Thank you very much. He spoke offensive messages about eating his flesh and drinking his blood that actually reduced his crowds. And he did that constantly to the frustration of his disciples because his identity was not in what the crowds thought of him. People were fickle. People that said Hosanna one day would crucify him the next. Promises were cheap. He would find out later that they can adore you one day and vilify you the next. It was not about him impressing people. You are not what people think about you. You are more than that. You are a child, a beloved child of God. And both Jesus and Paul and anybody who chooses to follow Jesus will have to suffer the cost of having your most beloved peers and colleagues in your religious faith call you a heretic. Call you a betrayer of your own people. And that's why Jesus was crucified. Because he's regarded as a false prophet. Nobody that goes to the cross can be blessed by God. The scriptures say anybody that is, is impaled on a tree is cursed by God. The scriptures say that. The proof texts say that. He's a heretic. Jesus had to endure that false representation. Paul the apostle, the most zealous Pharisee, had to have his own friends and colleagues regard him as a betrayer to his own people because he discovered the Messiah and that he wanted to welcome all these Gentiles in. And the people of God said, that's, that's betrayal. You can't do that. So unless your identity is secured in your being a child of God, then you're going to listen to those loud voices that cry out for you to unite around a common enemy. So Jesus answered, it's, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. This scripture uh, that Jesus quotes, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Do you remember where that came from? Remember it was in the Old Testament when God was commenting through Moses to them about that story where they'd run out of water. Remember they'd run out of water? That guy wants in, man. Was that verse in Psalm 84? Even the birds find refuge in your altars, O oh Lord. So, the, 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 I'll wrap it up with this. So, so this, this, um, uh, this isn't supposed to happen if you're God's people. You get hungry. This isn't supposed to happen. Your bills, your bills, your bills are overdue. Uh, this isn't supposed to happen. You're thirsty. 
That's not supposed to happen, right? So God's leading them through the wilderness, and they, hey, good morning. Welcome. And uh, so, so they, they, uh, they get thirsty. And so they whine and complain to Moses. We're thirsty. What are you doing? You brought us out here to die. You brought us out of Egypt so we would die. So God, of course, told Moses, you know, how, how, much, how long do I need to put up with this? Go to this rock, strike the rock. Water came out. Provided for them, and they called the place Massa and Meribah. It's not too often that God gives the place two names. <laughs> it's a double underline. And the, the word Massa is Hebrew for quarreling. They quarreled with me. And the word uh, Massa means to test, testing. Place of quarreling, place of testing. So this is the context of the scripture that Jesus is quoting to Satan. So, the children of Israel were, were in, their, in their humanity, they were, they were saying, they were, in God's view, they were taking an opposite side to God. They were going with an, another kingdom. They were going with another way of doing things. We should always have it together. We should always have our needs met. Everything should be perfect all the time. This shouldn't be happening if we're really the people of God. And God said, by talking that way, you're going into... That's a different kingdom. You're, you're defaulting on your humanity. You're defaulting on your dependency on me. You're defaulting on that. And so when Jesus quotes Satan, and Satan you know, quotes the scripture to Satan, where Satan is trying to get him to jump off the temple and be impressive, Jesus said, I'm not going to go with... I'm not going to oppose God. I'm not going to oppose God's way. I'm not going to go a different way than the kingdom of God which is sacrifice and servanthood. Be impressive. God loves your humanity. Jesus said to Satan, God loves my humanness. I'm going to go God's way, the way of humility, servanthood. I don't need to be impressive. I remember as a youth pastor, when I started out, I was a young 20-year-old and I had all these kids coming from different schools in the city. And I, I remember just this drive to be impressive. The next, the next program had to be more exciting than the last one. we got to keep them excited. Keep them pumped up. You know, romper room, balloon shaving contests. Whatever, however we can get the crowds, keep the crowds. And it, it, was, just a, it was just like a... It was like this... Wheel that I was running on. One day that penny dropped for me. I can't love people I'm trying to impress. Jesus said to Satan, I can't love people I'm trying to impress. I can't lay my life down. I remember I was struggling with just my own ministry. And, and, and one, one of the things that happens for me is, is in my own preaching. I'll just be honest about it is that sometimes I, I, was, I find that I preach too long because I feel like, okay, we still haven't nailed it yet. We just, we just got to hit that home run yet. And I was working this through with my spiritual director one day, and he said, Gordy, once you have presented what you have to offer, can you just leave it with God? 
Can you, just, can you just say that's enough? And he encouraged me to take this cross, and I do this sometimes. When I've taken, because there's Sundays you feel like you, you hit a home run. You know, then there's Sundays where it's just kind of sleepy. You know, like, I still think that way sometimes. And when I'm just feeling that, I just, just grab this cross and go, Lord, it's enough. There's an enoughness. And it's interesting, in the sanctuary video they did of my story of the mental breakdown and my recovery from the psychosis and all of that, how that the commentators, as they were talking around the table, they picked up that theme of enoughness, that we struggle with this enoughness. And so we, we then try to give up our humanity and find ways to be impressive. But when we're doing that, we can't be present to each other anymore. We can't. Love. So, it's enough. <laughs> the point, a strong sense of knowing your true self grounded in being lovingly mirrored by God is vital for becoming human in a sustainably outward-focused life and resisting unsustainable and human false selves. And I think we all need John the Baptist in our lives. It's not just hearing from God. We mirror God's love to each other. So in our reflection and prayer time, reflect on when you're tempted to deny your limits. Take those shortcuts or be impressive or other ways that you find your identity in things other than your true self. And if you have to leave soon, this, this is in your bulletin, so you can take it with you. Related to your answers to one, what aspects of distrust, inadequacy, that lack of enoughness that you feel in your heart come into play here? And then what is God's gracious invitation for you to trust him today? What is God saying about you and who you really are? Have other John the Baptists in your life pray with you about this. And how can you remember? Maybe for me it's, it's holding my cross when I'm forgetting, forgetting who I am. It's just holding that cross. But what are tangible ways that help you remember who you are when you kind of feel your humanity slipping away? God loves your humanity. He loves your limitations because there are opportunities for him to work. So can we hold that for a sec? Let's just, just invite you back into silence for a moment and just take these questions and just hold them. Come, Holy Spirit. There's something about our humanity that brings the fullness of the Holy Spirit. That God just loves to inhabit the meeting place of heaven and earth. And I pray for my dear brothers and sisters today who are in various ways just struggling with their weaknesses and their limits and feeling wish they could be more and do more. And We just say no to that. We say no, no. We just accept your word, that we're your beloved, that there's enoughness in us, 
all that you need to do. And we say no to the kingdom of darkness. We say no to the reign of darkness. And we say yes to worshiping the Lord our God and serving him only. So, Rose, was it you that had a word? Do you want to come and just give that? And then we're going to pray for Gordon Carroll, too. Bless them. Just take that mic. It's very interesting um, how God works sometimes, because I had this vision during worship, and it lines up beautifully with what you're saying. So I saw um, a cell, a prison cell, in a very dark corner, and there was a human curled up in a ball in the dark, and they had resigned themselves to a life sentence that this is where they belonged, that they couldn't see beyond it, that they had accepted this. And you look to see the bars, and outside the bars is brilliant, glittering light. And Jesus says to those of us, and I believe it's all of us, there's areas of all of our humanity where we have accepted parts of our humanness that we will never change, it'll never be okay, we'll never, ever be free of that. And Jesus said, the door's not locked, it's open. You have to make a choice to step out, open that door, and bring that area of your life into the light. Amen. Thank you, Rose. Amen. Yeah, I just, I think that what Rose is sharing, what Gordy uh, shared about authority, I feel like I need to re-emphasize that to us. Um, just a little picture. When we were in Zimbabwe and Danielle was with us, we went into that kitchen later on. She was eating some cereal. And she talked, looked to me and she said, Mommy, my cereal is moving. She, we thought it was raisins, but it wasn't. It was cockroaches. So what do you think I did? I just let her eat, right? No, I didn't. I took that bowl of cereal away from her, and I made sure we got rid of those cockroaches. We find something else to eat. So I feel like that when Gordy was talking about authority, I feel like God wants to remind us we have authority in the name of Jesus. So, Gordon Carroll, we're going to pray in the name of Jesus for that 1000 bucks. It's coming in. So it's not like we're not wrestling. There's still the struggle. Sometimes we have to persevere. But I think the Holy Spirit is reminding me and reminding us that we do have authority to pray. We don't just have authority to whine and beg. It's authority in the name of Jesus because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities. And calling those things that are, that are not. So I, Gordy and I firmly believe that even though dad's in his 80s, he still has something significant. And I still need a conversation with him about the gift that he's given to me about interfaith dialogue with Catholics. And I want to talk to him about that. I don't want him dying right now. <laughs> so that's just an example of wrestling, and sometimes we need someone else to wrestle with us. That's why we come together. So I 
give you in the name of Jesus the gift of authority to say no, like you were saying, say no, or like Rose is saying, walk out into the light, right? Yeah, that's one of my favorite parts of the John Wimber testimony. It was in that little lady came up to him, remember when he was struggling with this whole supernatural thing, and she said, when are you going to use your authority? Remember that? When are you going to use your authority? So it's not like you're trying to get authority or take it. It's, you have it. Just use it. Use it. Recognize it in your humanity as a child of God. Uh, I mean, in, in that story, it's, just to, it's fascinating to me how terrified the enemy was of Jesus' humanity. He is really terrified. He knew the game was up. He knew it was... It, it's, so he did everything in his power to try to get Jesus to give up that humanity. And, uh, and he does that with us as well. So, uh, so if, if some of these words have really spoken to you, I'd encourage you to just receive some prayer today. And just let the, you know, give, give the Holy Spirit time to, to minister to you, to soak you in that. Um, so Gordon, Carol, do you want to just come up? And I just want to invite some folks to come and gather around them and just pray. We're just going to bless them as a church. We're going to pray for the remaining monies that they need to come in, but also for just God's blessing and favor uh, to be on them. Such a beautiful, beautiful project this is. And such a touching story. They shared their story a few weeks ago. And uh, just such a privilege that, that they're part of our family, that we can be a part of this. And uh, we want to we have some ventures down there in the coming, coming days. So... Any updates you guys have you want to share? Or? Sure. Um, we know our family. We've, we've got our family. It's uh, Celadonia and Paulino. Um, they're in their late 20s, early 30s. They have three children. They're 10, 7, and 3, two, two girls and a boy. And um, they, they live in this house that's made of, you know, they've got some um, two-by-fours and that, but it's covered in the plastic that they use out in the fields. So they get that when it's left over and they've covered it, but their house leaks and they have a dirt floor. So um, the other thing is, is when they go off to work, the kids are left home alone, unfortunately. So they need a safe place where they can leave their kids. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, beautiful. What a beautiful vision, eh? Mm. Yes, Jesus. Do it, Lord. And, and, uh, and, and, and how many houses have you built already? Lots. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, the, the picture yeah. you showed the last time, is that kind of a typical that, that's, finished, yeah. beautiful finished product? Uh, just fits in the culture, but still so much yeah. more secure. Yeah. More than 100. 100 a year. Wow. Yeah, more than 100 a year. Yeah. So beautiful. Yeah. So, 100 a year. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> so if, if you're able to stand, why don't you stand? If, if you get tired, sit down while we're doing this. But uh, let's pray. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, I was homeless and you took me in. This is about love. It's not about a project. It's not even about missions. It's, it's just about love. And we thank you, Lord, for the love that you've put in Gordon and Carol's hearts and in the hearts of their family and their their team, to go and to serve and to learn. <laughs> By saying they're learning, they're saying they don't have it all together. Oh, that, thank you, Lord. that they're going to receive <laughs> things 
Lord, that those people have to give them that they can bring back to us. So we bless them in their going. Father, I just thank you for calling Gordon Carroll John the Baptist. I just see them going ahead, not only of us, but people from Lower Post and many others that need to go to this place. They need to go to Mexico. They need to join forces. They need to roll up their sleeves. They need to have the opportunity to build and do cross-cultural work that's tangible. And I just had a picture of, I don't know if you guys have ever seen that Facebook where there's a, it's a glass bridge. Do you remember that? It's just crazy. It's hilarious. And they're trying to get somebody to go across it. And this person is completely, completely, absolutely paranoid, screaming. And yet it's very secure, but they're looking down and they're thinking they're going to fall. Do you remember that? So Father, we just, for some reason that's come to me, Lord, and I know that so many of us want to do this kind of mission, but we're just kind of like terrified to step out of our comfort zones. And so we need people like Gordon Carroll, and we need to have um, joined forces together. And Lord, I've sensed for quite some time now that you want to have kids from Lower Post go to Mexico, and we want to have this bridge built. So Lord, we just stand in agreement that the finances are coming yeah. and we're not going to be intimidated even if the day that they fly and they don't have the last hundred bucks they're just going to go we bless them to go we bless them to receive on the way like jesus said just leave and take off and and shake the dust off and you don't have to take extra bread you have your little money bag you have enough and so lord we just say more than enough for gordon carroll as they go they're not going to be buying the power of the fear and any kind of spirit of anxiety in the name of Jesus. And we just release provision. We release provision. We know that they've gone there before and you've prepared a place for them to go again. And they're just going to get creative ideas. Uh, they're going to receive what they need, Lord. And they're just going ahead to prepare for a, a going back again and again and again. Being faithful in Jesus' name. Um, when you asked Gordy how many homes, and he said so many, and I whispered to him, more than 100, and he said, oh, yeah. And he said, like, seven, nine, 900. And, and, and I, I, it's, it's, God said, the number 1,000 is so significant, and you are approaching that, if not surpass that, because the enemy visits upon people for, to the second, the third generation, but the Lord redeems to the third thousands generation and I felt like he was saying to you that you have changed in his name communities to the thousands generation God is redeeming these communities and he will continue to do so that his spirit is on those children being left alone his spirit is on those communities that they are oh and I just really see God saying right now that the headships of these communities are going to change, that so many of these homes are led by women, and God is saying that he's changing the headships, that he's bringing the men into, that I feel like God is saying to you that there's going to be some significant relationships with men that you're going to develop in the community in the days to come to change this, that God is the father to the fatherless, and he is, he's turning the hearts of the father towards the children.
Thank you, Father. So we pray, Lord, we pray right now that you would be preparing the hearts of these fathers, that they would be broken in your, your Holy Spirit, that they would come into a place of brokenness in their own flesh so that they could see that you, they need you. They need you. They would see their families prospering without them, and they would long to be a part of that. And I pray, Lord, that these men would walk out of addiction, that they would walk out of selfishness. They would walk out of depression, Lord. They would walk out of confusion and deception and false idols, Lord, that they would walk out of rebellion, Lord, that they could have employment in Jesus' name, that you would change these communities where you started with these women and their children and these young children are becoming men and they have seen your holy spirit at work through the hearts of those who served you and you are going to continue to change these communities to the thousands generation thank you father word in you, right? Just feel yeah, like Gordy is feel, supposed to pray over. Feel, um, just related to Rose's word about the men, I just feel like you guys are a model of a partnership. Yeah. Just as, as uh, men and women, the way that you're going down together and you're partnering, I think that's rather than saying, oh, the men need to stand up and take a stand, it's, it's, it's partnership. It's, mm-hmm. it's, ser- it's mutual servanthood. Mm-hmm. Mutual authority. It, it says he created us in his image, male and female. Yes. So, Lord, where we just say no to that machismo culture, but we also say no to to a false masculinity that that is to usurp some kind of authority. Lord, it's not about that. It's about servanthood, about servant hearts. Thank you for the men in our church that so model that so amazingly, and we just thank you that I see that in Gord. And Carol, the way they they uh, they function together, so we just bless them in that anointing. And I just say over both of you and your team, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news that our God reigns. Thank you, Lord. Yes, Lord, we speak health into your heart in the name of Jesus. Your flesh and your spirit may fail, but God will give you power in your heart. So I speak into God's heart that it would be made healthy and well in Jesus' name. Just going to interject that if you need to go get your children, it's 1130. Mm -hmm. So uh, we can continue to pray. If you need to go, uh, there is fellowship refreshments at the back. Feel free to stay for a bit, but if you have to go, uh, go. Uh, I want to bless you to be weak this week because the weakness of God Mm -hmm. is stronger than the power of man, humanity. I want to bless you to be foolish this week because the foolishness of God is wiser Mm -hmm. than all the wisdom of humanity. And uh, just go in grace, peace, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Amen. So we're going to continue to pray here, but just want to formally let you go.